Welcome to the Small Nonprofit Podcast with down-to-earth practical advice on how to get things done in your small organization. You are going to change the world and we can help. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and I'm joined by my co-host, Anya McGlynn. Hi, everybody. Hey, Anya. So today I want to talk about something that I think small shops often don't delve into very, very frequently, which is donor naming rights. It's kind of one of those things I think people think are reserved for the big organizations where you have, you know, $15 million or $100 million to name a building and and all of that. Um, But there's some interesting opportunities for small organizations to leverage uh, their space and their donor support uh, to recognize and maybe even inspire others. So that's what we're talking about today. Have you uh, ever run a naming campaign? I have not. So I am I am eager to listen to this one and, and sort of up, up my game and my context. Honestly, like my first experience with naming rights was when I started working with the Good Partnership and uh, you were supporting a client on a capital campaign and um, they wanted us to do kind of a, a, a feasibility study or an assessment of like all the spaces that they had and what they could generate. And, and I remember meeting you and walking around their facility. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. <laughs> have no idea how to value any of these things. Like n- this is, this is a complete, I don't know if this is art or science or what. Um, <laughs> and so. it's totally a combination of both, right? That, that, um, and part of it is the strategy, right? Understanding why donors care, you know, what, what inspires them to have their name on a building or in a space. It's not always what we think. Um, but also what the benefit is to the organization of doing that. Uh, you know, I've seen so many organizations be really reluctant because they don't want to sort of quote unquote sell out. Um, but in fact, there could be a lot of, of upside uh, to having some donors names on your walls. Um, I ran, I've done a, a few naming campaigns with smaller organizations and um it's always a, f- a fun, I find it fun. I like hearing from donors about what they care about, where they want their name. Mm-hmm. I had one donor joke. He wanted his name in the bathroom stall of a cinema I was doing work with. Um, you know, it, it really is sort of a, a creative, fun way to look at mobilizing support for some bigger or longer term uh, fundraising goals. So that's right. Kind of that's fun. Right. Yeah, no, it, it's it's super interesting. Like I, I think my my biggest takeaway from from that experience with you with that client was like, oh, like you don't just they don't just pay for their name; they pay for like operation and maintenance related mm-hmm. to the space. Like that's the key ask. Yeah, that I think yeah. An inexperienced fundraiser, you know, or someone not experienced with with these kinds of campaigns would be like, oh, I've never thought about that, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, yeah. That's like a something that's factored into the math. So that was super totally, yeah. And it's not, you know, naming isn't necessarily reserved for capital gifts, right? We are familiar with it with a capital campaign where they're actually paying for the renovation of a space or something like that, but that's certainly not. Uh, the the limits or the boundaries of naming. And I think with 
you know, COVID and hopefully soon-ish in the next year or so, COVID recovery, you know, we might see a lot of organizations really ramp up their operating, like almost like have operating a recovery campaigns. And mm-hmm. so this is a really interesting opportunity to leverage the space that you have uh, when we're back in our spaces mm-hmm. and, uh, and engage your supporters in something that um, might be really meaningful for them. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll never know unless you ask them, right? Exactly. Uh, So with that, I'll introduce our guest today, Vincent Duckworth, who is a leading voice in the nonprofit sector. He's the chief marketing officer and founding partner with Vitreo Group. Um, He is Canada's leading authority on philanthropic naming for organizations big and small. Um, He has a mechanical engineering degree from the University of Alberta and is a certified fundraising executive. He curates a a widely read weekly recap of important sector news, and he's also the host of the Vitreo's Brain Trust Philanthropy podcast, now in its fourth, maybe fifth season by the time this airs. Um, He and his wife, Christine, have three children, Jack, Ethan, and Allison. It's a pleasure to welcome Vincent to the podcast. Vincent, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much, Cindy. That's awesome. I've been um, looking forward to this for a while. It's, uh, it's great to finally be on your podcast. So thanks for inviting me. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Uh, we're a huge fan of your podcast. So uh, it's nice to have you here with us for a little bit. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about a subject that I'm really excited to talk about with small shops because I feel like it's usually reserved for the bigger organizations and that's naming opportunities. So let's start a little bit with, can you tell us about uh, what are, like how can small organizations think about and even understand what a naming opportunity is? Sure. Um, You know, the, the, the great thing about, I mean, a naming needs to be framed in the context of donor recognition. Yes. Um, I like to sort of put that in that, that sort of context. Um, uh, it, we talk about it professionally and, and in shorthand as naming rec- uh, opportunities, and they are, um, but they really don't have recognition opportunities. And, and um, they, so they're not specific to larger organizations, although we seem to hear a lot more about those. Um, we've done work with a number of small organizations, uh, uh, smaller organizations, um, um, you know, small food banks, uh, some shelters, um, and many other organizations like that, um, who have quite successfully looked at uh, ways to recognize and um, celebrate their donors. And so with, with any piece of donor recognition, I mean, the underlying piece is to, is to um, you know, be part of the marketplace so that you, you know, you have a professional aspect to, 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 to naming recognition and donor recognition. But also to, you know, one of the nice things about any sort of donor recognition that involves naming is that it, it tends to be a little more public, a little more visible. Mm-hmm. And when it's more visible and more public, you also have other opportunities with that messaging. Um, obviously, to thank and celebrate the people that made that happen and were you know, part of the, the donor group to your organization. Um, but also to tell people in some cases that you, you actually take money. Um, that's not so obvious to everyone. I, I think, Cindy, you work with a number of organizations that maybe people think are completely funded by government mm-hmm. or yep. by somebody else. And that messaging is hard to sometimes get across. Well, that's a great thing to do with naming. You know, no matter what size you organize, when you, 
when you announce that, no matter how you do that, whether that's in your own newsletter to your to your stakeholders or in, in a media announcement or in an event, um, people kind of go, huh, they, they do take donor money, which is really great. Um, mm-hmm. it, it often works to inspire others. And that's great. Uh, so it not only tells people that you can, that, that, that you, you are you're professional in the marketplace and that, that uh, you do take um, gifts, um, that you're a charity, but also um, others can say, hey, I wonder if I should think about that or I want to recognize somebody. We'll talk more about that later on, maybe in the, in the show. But, um, and so there's that. But, you know, the other thing that is implicit, but we, we should put on the table is every time you talk about um, naming or donor recognition through naming, it's, it's brand alignment. It's a marriage. Mm-hmm. It's, um, so people evaluate it that way. Um, and they kind of look at it and go, oh, mm, that totally makes sense. What a great thing to see those two things align. Mm. Um, and so if they do align, then your brand as a charity, as a nonprofit goes up and uh, the, the brand of the donor also goes up because yeah. they're, they're part of you. Um, you know, and obviously the downside of that is that if you do it wrong, the opposite can happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and I know organizations we've seen in the news of, of turning down or taking down names, uh, because of misalignment. Um, I want to touch on something that you, because you're sort of balancing these two interesting sides of the coin. One is the donor recognition. And we know that donors have lots of different ways that they prefer to be recognized. And some actually don't want their names on things, but that the benefit to the organization of having a name on things can actually be quite significant and inspiring of other gifts. How do you deal with organization or donors who um, want to give significantly, but might not want that recognition? Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a great question. And actually, it's usually, in my experience, um, in, in most uh, jurisdictions, the first place people start, mm. uh, they kind of go, well, I don't want to be recognized. Yeah. You know, I just, I just want to help. Um, and that's not always the case. But in most jurisdictions, that, excuse me, that's oftentimes where people start. And so you have to have that bit of a conversation about, um, you know, how important it is for the organization, uh, some of the things we've already talked about, um, but also giving them time for that to kind of adjust and soak in. And also, mm-hmm. oftentimes people go, well, I, it's not about me, you know, and mm-hmm. they, think they, they think it's a mirror. Yeah. And, um, and, and if you look at naming in the marketplace, you'll see that a vast, not a vast, but a good majority of naming in the marketplace is not about the person isn't uh, necessarily named after the person who gave the gift. It Mm. it oftentimes is to recognize uh, somebody important in their lives, whether that's their parents, uh, you know, a family member, somebody that they, they, a a, a childhood friend that they owe a debt of gratitude to, um, or even in some instances I've seen um, in, in the greater Toronto area and other places, um, sometimes it's, you know, the donor gives and then recognizes longtime staff members through a name. So naming can be used in many different ways. It isn't all about ego. Um, there's nothing wrong with ego if it's properly sorted out and so forth, but you're right. Um, we do have that piece and it takes time. Uh, one of the organizations that we worked with was a YMCA and a longtime donor, well-known person in the community and absolutely did not want their name associated with, 
with with that uh, uh, because they didn't they felt it was it was not about them. And finally, after about four meetings over six months, um, we were able to turn them and go. It'll help the campaign. And mm-hmm. somehow that unlocked them. And they said, well, how will that happen? And I said, well, because people will see you, they admire you, they respect you, they believe you're authentic and credible and have integrity, and your association will allow them an opportunity to come into this space um, in a way they might not have before. And therefore, we'll be able to actually accelerate the campaign. Um, and that was what broke the ice there and we were able to name, name the, 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 the YMCA for that, that individual. Yeah, so that's... It, but, it, but it, it's, it's not easy though. It's not easy. No. I, uh, yeah. And there's all kinds of stories across the country. If you look at donor walls, donor walls are always an interesting, um, if you do a little bit of archeology span on donor walls, there's always some, some backstory. I know, <laughs> you know, some of them, you see the, the second name on the donor wall is almost always the most interesting in my view. Um, because it's likely they gave the most money, <laughs> right? <laughs> but didn't want their name at the top. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that works. Yeah. Did that, I don't know if I did that. Did that help address some of the? Yes, the absolutely. About- yeah. Okay. No, I think that's really helpful. And um, taking it back to why it's important for the organization and what that either that credibility adds or just. Um, precedent around having people already supporting uh, supporting the campaign or the organization. Uh, I know we've done namings with, uh, it, with anonymous donors where it's sort of obscure, vague, but it, it means something to the donor. And then the, mm-hmm. the, the broader population still sees a name there. They still know yep. someone supported it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Now you brought up donor walls and I want to talk a little bit about that. So it made me think of, um, you know, so often we see naming and donor walls as part of capital campaigns, but I think more and more people are using them for their ongoing or annual fundraising. So can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, is there a difference? Should we be thinking about them differently or how do we, I think for a small organizations, there's a huge opportunity for annual giving to be recognized meaningfully that way. So how can we think about that? Well, first of all, I, 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 um, I, I appreciate that you brought this up because um, donor walls are uh, an amazing um, tool to think about, an amazing way to recognize donors um, and a lot of donors in a smaller space. Um, and I'm talking about actually a smaller geographic space, not necessarily a smaller room or anything. But um, the uh, the idea of recognizing donors uh, who are cumulative or annual uh, uh, donors to your, to your organization isn't a new one, but oftentimes people um, don't think about it that way. If you go to a lot of um, uh, even some of the larger institutions, um, universities and colleges, oftentimes within the faculties or schools, you'll see um, donor walls that are more about cumulative giving or annual giving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that, that they do exist and we encourage them in the marketplace. We don't, um, we don't discount doing um, something to celebrate a capital accomplishment because that's actually um, like, it's an accomplishment. It's a, it's a milestone in the history of the organization. We built a new building, we built a new mm-hmm. room, we did a renovation. And so um, that's part of the history too, not just recognition. So having some sort of, um, piece associated with that, and then even a separate one that's more about cumulative getting, or some people go and have a, a portion of that that piece around their their plan giving 
people mm-hmm. who make you know co- uh, commitments in the will, and so they might have a, a heritage gift club or um, you know the uh, uh, Dead Poets Society. I've seen it in an arts one, you know. So they have th- that sort of stuff on their wall. So uh, that's a great comment about how important it is to to have recognition vehicles that are um, you know visible, relatively easy to keep up. Um, you know, and a lot of people ask about. And I don't know if we want to go down this path, Cindy, <laughs> but um, about whether we, you know, well, we want to set up a digital donor wall because it's easy to change. And you know what? Those work really well for lots of things. And I think annual giving, I think that cumulative giving, they can really work well. If, if you are in a situation where someone has given, you know, from their perspective, the largest gift uh, that they've ever given to help you do a renovation, and it was, you know, let's say it was 50000 or 100000 or something like that or, or more, um, you might want to think about something that's got some more durability to it just Mm -hmm. because it says something about what you think about that relationship. Um, If you make it too much, that's like the digital walls are really easy from a stewardship perspective, Mm -hmm. but they're also, uh, you know, you can erase them easily. (laughs) And so (laughs) you're almost in a way saying I can erase your gift. (laughs) I know you're, I know we're not saying that, but, um, and so, when people say um, we're going entirely digital for our, for our, for our, you know, our renovation campaign or our capital campaign or, or whatever our endowment campaign. And I, I kind of say, well, I, you know, I, I think that can, that can be helpful, but be mindful that, you know, the more tangible something is in someone's mind, the more tangible, the recognition should also reflect that mm-hmm. even if it's hard. Right. I think, yeah, I think that's a really great advice. Um, and in that, you've sort of brought up a couple really interesting notes that I want to uh, deep dive on a little bit because you talked about annual giving, cum- cumulative giving, planned giving, and then of course, like larger capital, like major capital gifts. Um, and and part of that is also, so the permanency, but also the visibility. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I have lots of things I want to deep dive in with that, but Let's talk a little bit about, um, I think one of the questions people think about is, at what level do we recognize people in this way? Mm. And I think that mm-hmm. the options you gave there kind of lend themselves to thinking about levels of recognition. So as an organization, if we were to do an annual giving wall or a cumulative giving wall, you know, where do we start thinking about who to include and who not to include? It's a great question. And, and honestly, I, 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 I think there's as many opinions as there are different types <laughs> of donor walls. So I don't want to pretend for a second that I'm an expert, but I'll tell you my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and my experience has been um, uh, some of it's practical. Uh, you know, how, how many names uh, do you want to recognize <laughs> in a way? that makes everyone on the wall feel like, or the recognition space or, or, or however you're doing that feel like they're valuable, um, that they've been recognized. Um, so, so, it, you know, if, if, if we're going to talk about eight point font, <laughs> probably not, not, not necessarily that, that valuable. So how, how would you go there? So some of it's practical. Um, yeah. ha, ha, and so that will help. And, and that can change as an organization changes too. Um, a relatively new, organization um, or new to fundraising organization, um, you know, may have a, a relatively small number of names and really has no bottom limit. And so, you know, they, they have, they have 17 donors and, um, and so recognizing all 17 is not going to hurt you. Yeah. Right? Easy. Uh, easy. 
easy, easy to do as you, as they move forward and maybe, you know, flash forward five years or eight years and they're doing a renovation project and they've done well. Now they have a couple of hundred donors. Does that still work in that space? Maybe not. Maybe they need to figure out different ways of, of, of not the people who aren't on the list still get thanked, but there, you know, there's a, a different level. I remember when I, you know, some of the organizations I've worked in, we, you know, five years, 10 years down the road, we actually changed some of the levels and, and had different ways of recognizing donors at different levels. So I, I don't think there's a minimum standard in the marketplace. Honestly, I have seen places that have 17 donors, someone who gave $20 and someone who gave uh, $2,000 uh, and they put them all up, you know, equally uh, and let people know that they were very grateful yeah. at the same time, thousands of donors, you know, people, sort of set a cutoff or cumulative at some a thousand dollars or something. So there's no right or wrong way of doing that. It's more about what's the brand of your organization in terms of stewardship and how do you want to present that? Um, And one of the things you want to present is that you are about saying, thank you. You are about recognition. You are about stewardship and, and acknowledgement. And so how you end up doing that is really, you know, I think really very organizational specific. And I think that's actually an opportunity for small organizations because they can include some of those uh, donors at at lower levels that might get excluded Mm -hmm. elsewhere. And so it's really a special opportunity for your donors, right? Yeah. Absolutely. We we oftentimes discount um, uh, gifts at some artificial level, especially as fundraisers, right? Mm -hmm. Because we need to sort of manage our, there's only so much we can do. And and when we discount, you're not, we're not actually discounting, but we, we kind of, you know, we just don't think about them. But we know, Cindy, you know, and our organizations know that some of the, the f- people who feel strongest and would really step up to the plate when, when asked are in that pool. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, absolutely. They're probably our most loyal supporters and mm-hmm. it just makes them feel so much more special. Um. The other thing you mentioned earlier that I want to talk about is the seen versus unseen, because a lot of small organizations actually work with um, populations where we have spaces, but those spaces are not spaces for donors, right? That they're mm-hmm. there to protect the people they serve and not for mm-hmm. people to come through. Mm-hmm. Um, how? What are some tips for them on how to think about this as an opportunity um, where they can maybe leverage some naming uh, and still protect the, their client base and their work. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of the things we didn't talk about is the, the, the impact or mm-hmm. um, the feelings associated with donor recognition on your clients, mm-hmm. on your program recipients, on the people you're serving the beneficiaries of the program. So, you know, in a women's shelter or in a, in a, in a child advocacy organization, um, um, you have spaces in there that are not seen by anybody but program recipients mm-hmm. um, or program staff. And um, uh, in my experience, uh, donors like that. It's not all about eco and it's not all about brand. Um, sometimes it's about making people feel like others care. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example of this is um, in health. Um, oftentimes in the surgical parts of a hospital where no one goes except for medical staff and patients, um, there will be donor recognition in there that patients will see. And that gives them a great deal of comfort to know then that, that the broader population is all, because sometimes that's a scary time when mm-hmm. they're going through whatever they're going through, right? 
Um, and, uh, and, and seeing that others in the community have stepped up can be quite comforting. And the, the donors know that too. So yeah. it's not always about visibility, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes it's about mission. Yes. In fact, it's almost always about mission first, but in, you know, the visibility is part of that. So that's my, my feeling on that. There's other things that could be done if donors wanted to see um, more, um, you know, we never talked, we didn't talk about, um, uh, we talked, we're, I guess we're talking a little bit, or the assumption is we're talking about physical things, mm-hmm. but a lot of naming is also about virtual things yeah. like programs. You know, if you see a, if you see somebody name a business school, the business school's got some physicality to it, but it's also got a lot of virtuality to it. Yeah. Um, when you see the same thing with a with a with a program in a in a in an emergency shelter or humane society, um, there's programs in there that can be and people do name them, and so you can see things like on letterhead or on business cards or on things like that that kind of um, can be used to let people know that this has actually got more than just, you know, the organization. Excellent. Yeah. I want to ask about length of naming too. So obviously with an annual wall that gets updated every year, cumulative as well. Um, But for some of those bigger naming, like a program or a space, um, I think a lot of people don't really know how long it should last. How long are you uh, agreeing to do this recognition for? What are you seeing uh, as a range or some best practices there? Yeah, it's one of the biggest questions I get asked. Um, and uh, because at the end of the day, it's, a, it's, it's how, what are they promoting or are talking about? Um, so um, the standard in the marketplace um, first of all, <laughs> there's no real standard, but there's some best practices. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did a survey of, I think, uh, 45 institutions. Um, they were all libraries, um, in this particular instance, just to see what their, what their naming policies had, um, specifically around a lot of things, but most specifically around duration. And what we found was that in general, um, in perpetuity is not necessarily, um, uh, as common as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, by that, I mean uh, this forever naming is not the first place people are going for a lot of good reasons. Um, there's, you know, organizations change, uh, uh, use and, 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 um, and uh, the type of space and all that stuff changes over time. And so people recognize that. So it's a bit of a risk um, to, to, to do it in perpetuity. And it also um, kind of handcuffs the organization in terms of future donor recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, where they might want to go. So there's the imperpetuity is not necessarily um, in place. Almost every naming policy I've seen has the ability to do that though. Or if the board chooses um, or the organization decides that the, the relationship is at that level or it's, it's, it's so brand imperative, um, they can do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. in general, the policies talk about a term limit and term limits typically um, depend on the organization and where it's going, but they're typically... Um, you know, for, you know, they're a little bit tied to the general sense of the gift value. So, you know, if, if it's a, a transformational um, type gift, whatever that means for an organization, that might mm-hmm. mean a $20,000 gift uh, when they've never only ever taken a $20 gift, mm-hmm. um, um, or it, it could be a different one. Um, the, the terms are, can be a little bit longer. The, um, but usually uh, 10 to 20 years is not uncommon. Uh, uh, 30 years for some really large namings, uh, not uncommon. One of the things that you need to keep in mind around naming terms is um, 
is uh, like when we switch, like the, how long is the space going to be like that? Mm-hmm. So oftentimes they'll say for the life of the building or the life of the use of the space or yeah. things like that, which are helpful. Yeah. Um, same thing for programs. For programs that have been around since the dawn of time with your organizations and are expected to be uh, with your organization in 20 years, those are very durable programs. They can have mm-hmm. long-term namings and bigger values associated with them. Um, uh-huh. One of the things that you have to think about with respect to those naming uh, in perpetuity too is the the brand consequences to renaming or naming and renaming and naming. Um, <laughs> you know, so for example, yes. if your organization has a name like um, the uh, I don't know East York Emergency Shelter, and um, and uh, and I don't even know if that's a place. Um, I've, <laughs> I've never heard of it. If it is, so no. Uh, I'm making it up, um, yeah. but uh, so it's got a geographic name, and then somewhere somewhere along the lines, they do a a, a capital renovation or something, or build additional space, and they decide, and they're they get a you know a very significant gift, um, uh, that, something at the size that they might consider renaming it to, you know, um, I don't know, uh, pick somebody's name, a family name, um, and now call their emergency shelter. That's a pretty big deal. And its term should be a pretty big deal because what's the consequence to changing that name every five years? Your brand looks kind of transient. You look like you're about money. You know, the more you you play around with that type of stuff, the more you start to feel like what you're doing, um, which isn't always great. So, you know, for the naming of something like that, I would recommend that there's, that'd be a long term. Yeah, you know, long term because, because you're actually changing the dynamics of the community with that name. Right, yeah, and you yeah. you can you can just think of places like that. Uh, that's why you see, um, and this isn't necessarily. Uh, uh, I'm sorry if I'm stepping out into the big charity world for a second because <laughs> that, that's not where I want to play my time. But but yeah. when you see a naming of a medical school or a business school, that's generally forever. Um, students and alumni are not very happy if ten years down the road you start changing what was on their parchment. Uh, they'll they'll allow it once you know, from the faculty of education to the somebody's name faculty of education. Um, yeah. But they won't, they're not happy if you, if you do it again. And it says something to the public who don't know the story about your brand. They'll think, oh, yeah. well, somebody screwed the relationship up. I don't know if it was them or them, yeah. you know? Yeah. So those are some, so, so short answer is termed, in yes. general termed. Yes. And think about the longevity and what it means to change that, uh, yeah. having worked at a yeah. business school that was named, um, I know the alumni were very concerned about the equity of the the name of their, you know, where the diploma is from, and so yeah. um, you know, having a name on it from as opposed to a generic, you know, school, I think is <clears throat> had a lot of value uh, as the organization did better and better, but changing it abruptly would not. Would not be good. No. You lose a lot of that equity. Yeah. Okay. Can I just add something to mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Um, so w- this is so interesting about the naming of your facility or your organization because mm-hmm. sometimes organizations are available to that, and sometimes they're not, and they mm-hmm. should really have that conversation about whether they want to do that. Yes. Um, uh, and the reason I bring it up is because sometimes organizations, especially in the nonprofit sector, we we suffer from the we're not as important as the for-profit sector. So we don't have to think about brand quite the same way. Um, right. And the reality is that that's just not true. 
Um, but what we don't realize is until we make an abrupt change, like renaming an emergency shelter without talking to the neighbors and the mm -hmm. community and the other partners that interact, um, that can be a real problem. If the only yeah. conversation you're having is with a donor and your board, um, and then you make that change, it all looks and feels great until it's a, a story on the, the front page of the Toronto Star, right? Yeah. It's, not, it's not cool. Um, no. And you see it happened with a hospital in, uh, in Toronto a few years ago where they, they renamed it, uh, I don't remember the name of the hospital, but the people got very upset um, because their babies had been born there, their parents had yes. passed away there. It, these, are, these are things that intersect the community in ways we forget because we're so yeah. mission-driven, right? We've got, well, we've, we're serving, you know, 10 families or 15 women. And, um, but really the community is also, you're part of the fabric of that community. So you really have yeah. to think about that in a good way because yeah. if you do it right, it can be really great. Yeah. It can be really great. You've, you know, the, there, there's a, a Jewish community a youth center in Toronto, on, I think on Spadina, um, that is named uh, for a donor. And that was fantastic, right? The community embraced that. Yeah. If the hospital is the one I'm thinking of, the crazy part is they have such a good story around naming it. And I think they just really failed to engage the community in the process, right? And instead That's of like, exactly right. <laughs> and tell the story of the donor yes. who is actually part of the community, which is yes. known for transform transformative gifts. And yes. they really just dropped the ball on that one. But in fact, it would have been a really unique opportunity. The story to, was yeah. excellent. It was yeah. absolutely picture perfect. The consultation was not as necessarily picture perfect. And I apologize yeah. if anybody's listening to this podcast who's part of that. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, it's a learning experience for, for everyone involved. Um, exactly. but, but, but sometimes we can get caught up and we need to remind ourselves that, that the stakeholders are more than just our program recipients, more than just the donors, more than just our board, but also a, a broader sort of diffuse part of the community that just you know, might be on the corner, might live down the road. Yeah. might have their baby born at your facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to kind of end the conversation right now. Uh, as we record this, we are in April of 2020 and we are right in the middle of the uh, COVID crisis. And by the time we air this, I hope that a lot of organizations, well, I hope that in, in general, we will be coming out of it, knock on wood. Um, so I want to talk about organizations, opportunities around recovery campaigns and how they might be able to leverage naming to mobilize support in bouncing back or coming back after a really hard time. Um, and obviously this is unprecedented, but do you, do you have any advice for organizations as they're thinking about mobilizing their supporters? It's a great question. And um, of course, we are sitting right in the middle of <laughs> social isolation <laughs> and distancing and working from home. Um, but when you listen to this, we're hoping that that is actually, you know, in the rear view mirror. And, uh, yeah. and, and like, like you said, knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, I, no, my no, sanity won't be able to take it if we're not, but. <laughs> no, no, I agree. Um, so uh, first of all, uh, uh, given that we're, this will be aired sometime in the fall, we're hoping uh, I just want to say to everyone who made it through, congratulations. Yes. Uh, let's look to the future. Um, so uh, it's unprecedented uh, and it's uncertain. But what is 
pretty certain to those of us that are watching the sector is that the, the recovery phase for this will also have, in many ways, uh, aspects which are unprecedented. Mm. Um, th- this, this activity um, has been an economic, uh, a, wor- a global economic and public health crisis, um, layered together and intermingled. Um, and as we come out of this, um, there'll be a lot of things that we will look at very differently in the world um, uh, across all sectors. I can't even predict how, like you could just pick things in every possible dimension about how this would work. But the desire, the desire to build on, mm-hmm. um, not the ashes, but the, what, the, the, there's a, there, they, somebody described this whole process as one of the things we're doing is we're actually grieving, mm-hmm. slowly grieving uh, a, a present and a past that is no longer part of our future. And that's not a horrible thing, but it is a grief process. Yeah. And so organizations need to think about, um, you know, how do they want to play their role in recovery? And so I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of things being built, a lot of things being renovated, um, you know, that, that, that sort of uh, expression of our society and the nonprofit sector will all be there. And fundraising will play a huge role in that. Um, not least of which, because many organizations, small, medium, and large, have had to make hard choices. Um, many organizations' doors are closed. Theaters yeah. are dark. Um, you know, YMCA's are empty. Um, and so there's, as people come back to that, people want to probably even swing the pendulum a little further. I think there'll be a lot of celebration mm-hmm. and announcements um, and economic stimulus. Um, and also, I hope, some thought about what's really important. Uh, Not that we haven't done that, but sometimes we have. And so there's been a lot of conversation in the marketplace about, is this, is this an extinction event for some charities? And, um, and there's been conversations that talking about, so maybe this is an opportunity for certain organizations to look at merging or, you know, going quietly into the sunset and passing their programs off. Um, That's a small fraction, but it's probably still there. And so yeah. there's going to be opportunities in there around fundraising, which means anytime there's those things that those renewal and recovery pieces, there's typically some sort of fundraising campaign or initiative that's different than what was. Um, we're not really doing a ton of fundraising right now. We're doing some, and certain organizations are doing a lot more because they're very much close to the, the, the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. But I, I would anticipate that, that thinking about, where you want to recognize donors, how you want to recognize donors, um, again, all tied to your brand and telling people you take money and that you're alive and well and not in, not in the charitable version of hospice or palliative care um, is helpful. So I can see that this is going to be really important, but more important than naming will be the initiatives, like always, right? Uh, the naming is, is, um, is a recognition and stewardship tool, which means it lags your mission and vision drive. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I feel like that's a really kind of optimistic and hopeful way to end the conversation, which I think I needed today. So uh, I know by the time our listeners hear this, uh, there's a lot to look forward to. Um, Vincent, where can they learn about you and uh, your work? Well, thanks, Cindy. Uh, you know, I, first, I just want to thank you for inviting me on. I am. Um, I I love your podcast. I love uh, your business, and I I um I wish I wish that we um 
I wish that we could serve the small nonprofit as anywhere close to as well as you do. But uh, that said, um, I'm very glad that you're doing that. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, thank you. They can reach us just at, you know, you can find, find us easily just off the website, which is vitreogroup.ca and V-I-T-R-E-O group.ca. That's the best way to, uh, to reach in and, and find out where everyone is. Um, and uh, feel free to, um, to connect with us. Um, and, and also, um, I hope we can do some stuff together in the future. Cindy. Absolutely. And you have to tell people about uh, your podcast because they're all already podcast listeners. So um, <laughs> I'll let right. you, <laughs> I'll let okay. you plug so, it. So, so, so we, uh, thank you. Um, so we're fellow podcasters. Uh, we both have a love of this medium. And um, uh, so we also have a podcast. Uh, it's the Brain Trust Philanthropy Podcast. Uh, it's a monthly podcast. Uh, it's typically a panel versus uh, the interview format. Uh, I love the interview format, but we chose to go with a panel of leaders in the sector. Our topics change all over the place. Um, you know, I, I won't speak about what our most current sessions were because this is going to be in September. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we, um, we love this environment and we love the fact that it can be um, planful. You know, you can think mm-hmm. about what your, your audience needs over the course of the year, but it can also be responsive. And, yes. um, and so... And it's interesting in this time of social distancing, I would suggest that things like our form of communication and podcasting has actually even gone up one more notch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was already on the rise. Podcasts are pretty popular in, in April of 2020. But I expect coming out of this that that format will be even more viable. Absolutely. Well, I highly encourage everyone to take a listen. We'll include the link in our show notes as well. And uh, to our audience, thank you for tuning in. And Vincent, thank you so much for joining me. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week. Mm